We're in the book of Philippians in chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Last week we saw the need for unity and how to obtain unity in the church. We saw unity is completely heavenly, complete harmony, and requires complete humility. Now we're going to look at the perfect example of humility as we look at the mind of Christ. So I couldn't decide on a title, so I have several. I have Down From His Glory, The Perfect Example of Humility, and The Mind of Christ. You pick which one you like, and that will be the title you can write for today's message. But in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Paul writes some of the most profound words, I believe, found in all of Scripture. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So as we look at this mind of Christ, this perfect example of humility, I want us to th see three aspects of this mind or this way of thinking. First of all, it was completely selfless. It was completely selfless. We'll see that in verse 5. Then secondly, we'll notice it was com uh, completely sacrificial. Completely selfless, completely sacrificial. See that in verses 6 and 7. And then in verse 8, it was completely submissive. Selfless, sacrificial, and submissive. Let's ask the Lord for His guidance, please. Father, as we learn this example, study this example of complete humility, as we look at the mind of Christ, again, Lord, the Scripture tells us to have this mind in ourselves. So may we learn the mind of Christ, and then demonstrate it in our lives. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let this mind be in you. We're commanded to think this way. This mind is a verb, this way of thinking. It's an imperative. So let this mind is a, like I said, a Greek verb that has the idea of the way of thinking. Okay? Let this mind, this way of thinking, be in you. It's a deliberate choice of our will to think of others and not self. It was a deliberate choice of Jesus' will to have this mind in him. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, he was not thinking of self. He had you in mind. You ever think of that? All the billions of people in this world, and yes, he died for every one of us, but if you were the only person alive, Jesus still would have died for you. Romans 5, 7 and 8, For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Would you be willing to die for another you say, well, if it was my child or my grandchild, 
yeah, I'd probably be willing to die for them. But while we were the enemies of God, Christ died for us. This same humble thinking should characterize Christians. We should esteem others better than ourselves, we're told in Scripture, right? Think more highly of others than ourselves. Think of others' needs before our own. Jesus was thinking of our need for salvation when he laid aside the glories of heaven to become a man. And Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do we give up our desires for the sake of others? Now, this suit I'm wearing is a new suit, was when I bought it. When I went to the men's store, they had a clearance section of people who had bought suits. They would either buy this coat and then match it with the different trousers. And so they'd take the misfits, you know, the, the, the one that they didn't buy, and just stick them separately on a rack, and then they reduced them all. So I looked through the whole rack, found the coat, found the trousers, bought it on sale, right? But many of the clothes that I wear, my wife finds at Goodwill or Salvation Army, and many times still has the tags on it, but we're not paying full price for it. That way we can use those funds for other things besides eating. Other things include giving to missions, giving to the work of the Lord, helping those in need. You see, people to use this excuse, well, I don't have the money. I talk to people about tithing. I don't have the money. You have money for what is important to you, period. Your priority, you will make money, you will make time for what is important to you. Do you believe that? I do. And so what you're really saying when you say, I'm not going to tithe, is it's not that important to me. Besides, when it comes to the tithe, God has promised you give him what rightfully belongs to him and he will take care of the rest. I believe that, don't you? But sometimes we lay aside our desires in order to have extra or order to be able to help others. Are we trying to meet the needs of others? Are we seeking or, or are we seeking our best interest? In other words, are we living for me? Are we living for Christ? If we're living for Christ, we're going to be living for others and not for self. So we're commanded to think this way. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It'll be an outflowing of our love for him. You say, well, you know what? Some people are just unlovable. I get it. Some people's personalities, some people's actions are hard to deal with. But aren't you glad God didn't isolate you and say, well, I'm not going to deal with them. I'm not going to love them enough to die for them. I'll die for everybody else, but not that individual. But if we want to be full of Christ and think like Christ, then we need to saturate ourselves with the word of God, do we not? Because how are we going to think like him? We need to be in his word so we can think the way God wants us to think. And if I'm going to have a mind of Christ, then I need to understand God's word. If I'm going to understand the living word, then I need to understand the written word. So we need to center our thoughts on Christ and all he has done for us. You see, what I have a passion for is what I'm going to think about. A young person who's about ready to get married, what's the only thing they talk about? 
a young person ready to get married, what's the only thing that's, what is their mind filled with? What is the thing they're talking about? Yes, Ashley. Okay, yes. The one they're, whom they're going to marry, talking about the wedding. Yes, all those things, right? It won't be long they'll be talking to you about that, right? Or a young man who just turned 16 and bought his first car. What does everybody know about this young man within five minutes of talking to him? Everything about his new car, right? It's a piece of junk rusted through, but the radio works. Engine doesn't run, needs new tires. But man, does that radio sound good, right? That used to be the way it was when I was a kid, how guys would buy cars. But for some, it might be their job, their house, their boat, their car, their lawn. It has consumed their thinking. But you and I, Christian, our thinking should be consumed with Christ. I hate this weird expression, and I don't know where it came from. Oh, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I have never met somebody who's so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I'll tell you, though, Christian, you and I are to be heavenly minded. You and I are to think of Christ. You and I are to dwell in, in Christ, and our thoughts should be on Christ, and we should be dwelling on Him so that you and I are thinking and having the mind of Christ. When Christ approached a sinner, how did he approach him? He approached him with compassion. He approached him with a love. Now, when it came to the Pharisees and it came to the religious leaders who were lying to people, yes, he was harsh. Yes, he, he overthrew the money changers' tables. He, he did what he needed to do as the Son of God. And there were times that he demonstrated and anger, a righteous anger. But when it came to approaching sinners, Christ approached them with a compassion, did he not? I think this is a line of a song. It says, may I be so consumed with thee that even when I'm tried, my only prayer is may Christ be magnified. May I be so consumed with thee that even when I'm tried, my only prayer is may Christ be magnified. Let me say that one more time. May I be so consumed with thee that even when I'm tried, my only prayer is may Christ be magnified. Because should that not be the goal of all of our lives, Christ be magnified in me. So as we talk of the mind of Christ, it was completely selfless. Secondly, it was completely sacrificial. Now, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God? Jesus is God, right? God is spirit, must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. So, that means, then, when we read Isaiah 6, 1 through 3, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings, with twain, he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He had all the splendor of heaven, right? Because Jesus is God. But he didn't consider the glories of heaven worth holding on to. When it says in verse 6, Who, being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The word robbery there has the idea of something to be grasped or held on to. You see, he willingly laid it all aside to come to earth. 
Now, in this passage, and then the next verse, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of the servant. This is a theological discussion that men love to have about, it's called the kenosis theory, of what did Jesus empty himself when he became a man? Because there was an emptying, it says. And that's what kenosis has the idea of. So what did Jesus empty himself when he became a man? And I word it this way. He temporarily, voluntarily laid aside the use of some of his attributes in order to become a man. He did not, he did not, he did not empty himself of deity. He was still 100% God. He laid aside the use of some of those attributes. He laid aside all the glories of heaven. He laid aside all the worship of the angels. He put all that aside so that he could become a man. That, my friend, is sacrificial. Because Jesus Christ took upon himself flesh. He became man. Now, he never stopped being God. It's a big theological term called the hypostatic union. He is 100% God and 100% man. And understand this. The book of Revelation says that he's going to come back and they're going to see the scars in his hands and feet. You know what that tells me, Brother Al? That when Jesus Christ became a man, it was a permanent change. He will forever be in a, in a body. I want you to think about the sacrifice that he became part of his creation to save his creation and willingly died on a cross and he still will carry those scars for all eternity because he always will be in a body. It was a permanent change. Does that not move your heart to think of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? We talk often of his great sacrifice on Calvary, how he willingly allowed man to beat him, and how he willingly allowed man to pluck his beard and spit upon him, and to put the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet, and oh, what a great sacrifice that was. But understand, we are talking the very God who created these men is the one who is allowing this to happen to him. Because he made a choice to set aside the glories of heaven. You know, we sing a song, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set them free. The Bible does tell us there were legions of angels waiting. And I bet, I just imagine them standing on the edge of heaven just waiting and all he would have had to say is come and they would have taken out every one of them because I could imagine the angels thinking, how dare man do that to God? Now, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Not just a selfless mind, but a sacrificial mind who did that because of his love for you. Do you have a sacrificial mind? I'll tell you right now, I meet very few people in 21st century America who even have a concept of what living by sacrifice really means. I don't think any of us truly understand it. I'll be honest with you. We think that if I can't have what I want for dinner, then I'm sacrificing. Now, it says, 
but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. This word could also be translated slave. It was made in the likeness of man. He condescended to the lowest of tasks. Do we not see, even at that night, at that supper before Jesus was crucified, he laying aside his garment and girding himself with a towel and washing the disciples' feet. Now, when he became a man, as he walked on this earth, he knew every limitation you and I understand as human beings. Now, there are times, even on earth, that he would use some of his attributes. He tells the storm, peace, be still. He sees Philip under the tree right? He see, he, he, there's times he used his attributes, but those were the exception, not the norm. Understand what I'm saying? And he never used them for self-gratification. By the way, that was one of the temptations that Satan tried, is jump off the pinnacle of the temple and the angels are going to catch you, or change these stones into bread. That would have been a miracle, uh, <coughs> using one of his attributes of God. But I want you to think of a few of these. Matthew 4.2 says, When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he afterward was, what? Hungered. I've never fasted 40 days and 40 nights. I think the most I've fasted is 24 hours. And I'm pretty hungry after 24 hours. I cannot imagine 40 days and 40 nights. John 19.28, as he's hanging on the cross after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. John 4, 6. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied on his journey, sat on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. You understand, Jesus knew what it meant to be, be tired. Jesus knew he was by trade a what? So you think he knew what it was to put in a hard day's work and to be exhausted at the end of the day and have sore, aching muscles? Absolutely. Jesus knew what it was to be hungered. He knew what it was to be thirsty. He knew what it was to be betrayed. He knew what it was to be lonely. Every verse that when you say to young people, you can memorize any verse you want, and you'll get a prize for it. What's the first verse they're going to turn to? John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Even standing there at the graveside of Lazarus, knowing he's about to call him out of the grave, the fact of death and what it does to us, which death is a result of sin, is it not? And seeing the grief caused by that, Jesus wept. I am tired of the little prissy, pink panty Jesus that the world tries to paint. Jesus was a real man. He was a man's man. Yeah, I know, that sounds sexist. I don't care. Let me tell you something. There were times when the heart of Jesus was moved so much, and there'd be tears coming down his face. Because real men do cry. He knows what it is to be brokenhearted. I'm going to give you one better. Despite what some churches try to teach, Mary was not perfect. She was a sinful woman. And Joseph, his earthly father, we'll call him, was a sinful man. Yet we find... God himself, who became a man as a 12-year-old boy, submitting himself to the authority of these 
imperfect people. And yet I hear young people say today, you don't understand, Pastor. My parents are imperfect. I knew that already. Well, I can't submit to them because blah, 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 blah. Yes, you can because Jesus submitted to imperfect parents. You can too. He willingly subjected himself to an imperfect government. Who was in charge during this time? Rome. Was Rome a perfect government? Far from it. You know, it's interesting. There's some Christians try to teach we don't have to pay taxes and we don't have to do this. Jesus Christ himself, while he was here on earth, submitted himself to the government. That was an imperfect government. Hebrews 4, 5 tells us, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. When you're going through a trial or struggle in life, he can sympathize because he knows. Do you have the mind of Christ that sacrifices for others? The mind of Christ was completely selfless, completely sacrificial, and completely submissive. Verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. When Mary found Jesus in the temple, sitting there te teaching the doctors, because they're all astonished at what this little boy had to say, right? She says, your father and I were looking for you. What's Jesus' response? Don't you know that I should be about my father's business? The whole way through the life of Christ, what do we find Jesus repeating over and over and over again? I am here to do the will of my father. I am here to do the will of my father. One of the disciples even asked him, show us the Father. He goes, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because I'm doing the will of my Father. I'm here to show you the Father. The Son of God was completely submitted to the will of the Father. Christian, let this mind be in you, this thinking be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Is your mind completely submitted to God? In our country, in our world, so many men who have been in the ministry. I know a man who was in the ministry, and then all of a sudden he decided he was no longer a man, he's a woman. Then wondered why his wife wanted a divorce. I know another man who decided that he was going to start having homosexual relations. I know many men who decided that their marriage wasn't worth it anymore, and they've divorced. And I look at this and I ask, how? Well, let me tell you something. Every one of us is still a sinner. But my mind needs to be completely submitted to the will of the Father. My mind needs to be not thinking on me, but on others, on Christ, and focus solely on Jesus Christ. Because let me tell you something, but by the grace of God, so go I. And you and I, Christian, need to have a selfless, sacrificial, submissive thinking. Are you willing to submit to the will of God for your life? What if God were to call you to a foreign country? Would you be willing to go? Jesus was completely submitted to the will of the Father, which included dying in your place and mine. It says, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. The death of the cross 